Psalm 119, if you would, we're going to start in verse number 153. Verse 153, we will read down through verse 168. Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Many are my persecutors and mine enemies. Yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved, because they kept not thy word. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation, and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your people here gathered together. Lord, the special day of the week. The first day of the week, the day that, uh, that you rose from the dead, thank you for the resurrection uh, power that has been manifested in, in each one of us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, as, we are truly alive from the dead, and we know one day because of your resurrection, we will live uh, anew uh, physically, eternally with you. And Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for how you're working in your people how you're working in our church. Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in the future. And Lord, we look to you for all, all those blessings that we need, things that only you can do, and we pray that you'd help us to be faithful. As we look in your word here this morning, we, we certainly do need your help. We ask for your help, Lord. Please speak to our hearts and teach us from your word. Help us to know what you say and what you mean and how it applies to us on an individual basis. Lord, I pray your spirit would teach us teach each and every person here and those listening as well. So, Lord, we commit it to you. We ask for your grace and help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week we were talking about in the 20th set, uh, we just covered basically two main points. The first is we talked about praying in verse 153. Uh, the psalmist says, consider my mine affliction. And we talked about praying on the basis of God's heart. Toward us. In other words, not just asking God to do something for you, but actually praying, actually praying and appealing to God's emotional, if you could say that, emotional side. Of course, we know that God is uh, just, just, we are made in the image of God, and, and that includes a lot of things, but one of those is God has an emotional aspect. Uh, he's not just laws and commandments, although he does have those for sure. That's his justice and his holiness and righteousness manifested in those. But also, he has a heart. 
If he didn't have a heart, there would be no Savior. There would be no John 3.16. And so we can appeal to God, especially and most importantly, as God's children. We can appeal to God to his heart and ask God to remember our affliction. Then we also saw how that we talked about what I called spatial distance, spatial distance. And that's basically in verse number 155 and verse 151, talking about those salvation being far from the wicked. And when we talk about spatial distance, it's actually distance from God's word. It's actually distance from God's word. And we saw how that... how that one's relationship to God's Word often determines how they, res- how they respond to the gospel and whether they end up getting saved, just that, just that fact. I know there are those that teach that from the foundation of the world, before God created anything, He had already chosen who would be elected, is the term they use, who would be saved and then who would not be saved. And some people say, well... We don't believe that God chose who would not be saved. We just believe that was kind of the outcome of choosing who would be saved. You know, we go around and around. But here's the thing. There are things, the reality is in Scripture, there are things that influence whether a person gets saved, whether a person trusts in Christ. And one of those things is their relationship to God's Word, their reaction to it, their response to it. And it's also true of a, of a believer, the distance that we put between ourselves and God's Word. Remember, the only way that we have to interact with God is at least outside, I, I should say outside the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. But the, the prime, I should say the primary way that we interact with God and we hear from God is through the Scripture. And the Spirit of God uses the Scripture. So when we distance ourselves from that, we are distancing ourselves from God's voice. Actually, we're going to talk about that this morning a little bit in the morning service. <clears throat> now, imagine if you, if, you get, if you get spatially distant from someone. Like, Miss Karen, if you, if you walk down the street to the neighbor's house and you want to talk to us, you have to shout a lot louder than if you were in this room. Well, that's what happens. When we get far from God, we don't hear the still, small voice. Still, small voice. That means it's quiet, right? Is that not a description of how God speaks to people, right? To Eli, it was Elijah, I believe, right, in uh, Mount Sinai when God told him to go to Horeb. God referred to his voice as a still, small voice. That means you have to be close to hear it, right? It's not very loud. If God's got to shout at you, there's a problem. Say amen right there. If God has to shout at me, we're too far away. He needs to be able to whisper, you know? Um, and his word, you know, I, and I know we're talking about physical distance, but when we're talking about spiritual distance here as well. Uh, and so when a person cools off toward the Lord, he distances himself from God's word. And then when that happens, when we're talking about an unbeliever, because he distances himself from God's word, that in turn distances himself from salvation, Right? That's a, that's a sad state to be. I know in Cambodia, I, I, I met with that many, many times. I'm sure Brother Stewart did with the gypsies especially, maybe not with so much with the Bulgarians. But gypsy, the Roma people, they're similar to the Cambodians. They're of that Asian kind of culture. And when people get upset or they start to lose interest, they don't tell you. 
they would draw. And so you, they would draw from you, and then they would draw then from God's Word because you're the one bearing it. And before you know it, you can't find them. And that's a, a sad state to be in because that's, that's, a, that's a state of spiritual decline. That's a state of spiritual decline. Bad place to be. When you see you're there, when I see I'm there, what we should do is run back to the Lord. Run back to the Lord. All right, look at verse 157, if you would. It says, Many, the psalmist speaking now, many are my persecutors and mine enemies. Yet do I not decline from thy testimony. We just got done talking about spiritual decline, declining from God's word, pulling away, withdrawing. Now, what is the purpose? All right, first thing you have to establish is a persecutor. A persecutor. One who, infl- who has ill will and inflicts harm upon a person. I mean, it could be broadly, it could be anything, but usually it's a reference to someone who is doing right or someone because of their, their stand for righteousness or their desire to do right or their faith for those, t- typically those two reasons. Persecution, people persecute someone else, all right? But what is the goal of persecution? What is, rather, what is the source of persecution of you and of me? of a believer in Christ. What, where does that come from? Say again. The Bible makes no bones about it. Persecution from men comes from the devil. No question about that. If you, are, if you or I are being persecuted because of a righteous stand, we're trying to live right, or because of our faith in Christ, that is directly from Satan, right? That's number one. Number two, in verse 157, the Bible says, many are my persecutors. So here you have someone who has not declined from God's testimony, someone who is right with God, walking with God, close to the Lord, and yet he's being persecuted. Why is it that a lover of God should have so many that hate him? and desire to do him harm. Now, I know when we talk about persecution, in the context of the United States, it is exceedingly rare for an American Christian to feel actual persecution. And when there is persecution, it usually comes in the form of uh, family tension. Maybe put it like that. I know in, in my own life, I've experienced that. I would hardly dare, I I would be way too sheepish (laughs) and ashamed to really refer that as persecution when I know there are people who actually are literally disowned, kicked out of their house and just orphaned. Or some are even brought to spilling their blood, you know, bruises, wounds because of their faith in Christ because they try to do righteousness. And I know we see things on the news that you know, pa- you know, pastor in Canada is arrested because he was having services during COVID. And yeah, that, that, would, that would probably be a form of persecution, but really in the big picture, that's kind of a little bit minor. Now, to him, it probably doesn't seem minor, but, but you understand what I'm trying to say. But in many, many other places in the world, place, places in Europe, but especially places in Asia, it costs something for people to believe in Christ and follow Christ. And again, it's, persecution is not always about what you believe, your faith. It's often about the way you live. Now, note that. 
Note that. Blessed are ye, Peter says, when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's not necessarily what you believe. That's the way you live because that offends people. When you look at when someone else uh, is doing something and you rebuke it, or even if you simply rebuke it passively by not engaging, why aren't you doing this? What's wrong with you? Nah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't do that. I don't drink. I don't, I just don't, I don't, do, I don't do that. I don't think it's right. That can be the cause for persecution. That has nothing to do with your faith, really, in Christ. It has to do with you following the Lord. Now, look at, so it's no surprise that, that a Christian's persecutors should be many, many. We'll see it in just a minute. Look at Genesis 3 real quick. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, I want to show you one little thing about this. The Lord told us about it very plainly. I think this is mine. It either is or it's not. <clears throat> Might be Ari's. <clears throat> You're not sick though, are you? Or weren't as of Wednesday. Genesis 3 verse 15, this is called the Anybody know what this is called? Ten cent, ter ten cent term. Come on now. I have some very intelligent people in the room. This is called the Proto-Evangelium. Verse 15, the first mention of the gospel. The Lord says to the serpent, I will put, and I will put enmity between thee, the, the serpent, and the woman. And between, this is what I want you to note, and between thy seed, the seed of the serpent, that's the devil, and her seed, the seed of the woman. It shall bruise thy head, that's the seed of the woman. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt, the devil, shalt bruise his heel. Notice that it identifies the seed of the woman as an individual person, right? His heel, that's singular. So this is talking about Jesus, how the devil would bruise the heel of Jesus, uh, <clears throat> which is interesting. The idea is you're walking down a path and there's a snake along the path. Maybe you didn't, what you weren't aware was there and it just jumps out and reaches. It reaches out and, and, uh, and bites your heel. That's the idea. But that's a minor, that's a minor issue compared to what happens, what happens to the devil because thou shalt bruise, it shall bruise thy head. So you could, even, you could even envision this kind of picture as a serpent is found and in the process of trying to kill the serpent, the heel of the person who stomps the serpent is struck. So it took, it, it, there was a cost when the Lord stamped the, the head of the devil and destroyed his power and destroyed his work. At that moment, that was the cross, but that cost him a, a lot, right? The serpent bit him, right? That's what it's talking about. But notice, going back to 15, notice what it says. The Lord says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. Now, what is the seed of the devil? The serpent is the, 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 serpent is the devil in this case, right? But what is the seed of the devil? Obviously, in this case, the seed is the offspring, right? The seed of the woman is the offspring. So this is the offspring of the devil. What is that a reference? 
Look, it's just a reference to those who are children of the devil. Jesus mentioned them in John, right? Child, being a child of the devil, children of the devil. Now, I'm not going to sit here. Yeah, I've, I've heard some people say, if you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. I don't think that's true. Now, you're under the power of the devil as a child of God, but I know that there's a process involved for a person to become a child of God, and I think that's probably also true for someone to become a child of the devil. I don't think you're born a child of the devil. But at some point, people are categorized as children of the devil. They, they, are, they are following their father, the devil. Not just the lust of the flesh that come from our, our nature that the devil, the devil tinkers with, doesn't he? He pulls the strings of our nature using the world, using media, using TV, using movies, using social media, using all the temptations that are around us. He pulls the strings of our nature to cause us to sin, to do things that are wicked. But really, that's really coming of our nature. That's not always the devil. Sometimes our own wicked nature, the sin that dwells in us, leads us to do wicked, wicked things. And we blame the devil. And the devil's like, what are you talking about? I was in Colorado. Or Ohio, most likely. Or Michigan, as the case may be. Or South Carolina. <laughs> so our own nature draws us away. That's what, that's what James says. However, there are times that the devil actually, of course, tempts us. Tempts us. But lest I get sidetracked here, the seed of the devil, those who are living for directly taking their orders from the devil's directions, okay? This is not just lust of the flesh. This is a personal interaction, okay? The Pharisees were called children of the devil, which is interesting because in our family's Bible time, we've been going through Ezra. And one thing you see here is Ezra was the scribe, the priest, right? Ezra loved God, and Ezra brought them back to the Word of God. But in all truth, in all likelihood, it was the ministry of Ezra that eventually turned into, 500 years later, into the Pharisees and the scribes, who actually were primarily responsible for killing Christ for the, for the human part of the crucifixion. All right, so you have the children of the devil. Those who are on the devil's side, they are working for the devil, taking their directions from the devil, okay? The seed of the serpent. Notice what it says. I will put enmity between thy seed, the seed of the devil. Those are people now. That's not, that's not the devil himself, although he's included, right? But that's those who are children of the devil, human beings. And her seed. Now, that's Jesus. That's clear. Jesus is the seed of the woman. So what you have in this is a statement way back in Genesis 3, right after the fall of man, that God would put enmity, that state of being an enemy with one another, between the children of the devil, human beings who are, who are following the devil, persecutors, persecutors. You know, most people don't persecute Christians. Even in, even in Cambodia, even in foreign countries, everyone doesn't persecute a Christian. But there are some people who have set themselves against God. Those, those are the Pharisees and the scribes. Those are the children of the devil. And they actively try to harm believers in Christ for their faith and for their righteousness, right? So that's what, that's what you have, is you have the seed of the devil, these human beings who are controlled by the devil, persecuting the seed of the woman. But that's Jesus. Now, that's important. Notice it doesn't say, it doesn't say the children of God. It says they're persecuting Jesus. Remember, when the Lord met Saul of Tarsus, who was, 
who was a, a persecutor of Christians, although he did so ignorantly. All right? When the Lord met Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, what did the Lord say to Saul when he appeared to him? Why persecute? Say that again for me, Joseph, emphasizing the last. Why persecutest thou me? Me. Saul of Tarsus was persecuting Jesus, but of course Jesus was already ascended. So what is he talking about? What's he talking about? He's talking about those that believe in him, those believers in Christ. So when Saul was persecuting those Christians for their faith in Christ, he was persecuting Jesus because they were in Christ. Their, their affliction was his. Their wounds were his. Their suffering, their jail was his, right? That's the way he viewed it. That's what Jesus said. That's the way he viewed it. That's exactly what we see here, right? It's these children of the devil persecuting the seed of the woman. That's Jesus. Anyone who's in Jesus. Now, hold your place here and go back to John chapter 15. <clears throat> Verse, John 15, verse 18. Notice what it says. <clears throat> if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So let me ask you a question. In this case, why does the world hate Jesus? Uh, hate, hate those that believe in him. They hate those that believe in Christ because they hate Christ. That's the way it works. So when someone is persecuting a Christian for righteousness or because of their faith, they're actually persecuting Jesus. And this is why you shouldn't, you shouldn't take it personally when people, and again, I'm using the term persecution very loosely. Someone's saying something nasty about you because of, I mean, that's, technically it is persecution. If you look, read 1 Peter, people speaking evil of you is a form of persecution. But anyhow, you have to understand that it's really a problem between them and the Lord. But you represent the Lord. You're in Christ. And so they take aim at you because of their hatred for him. If they ever started loving him, what would happen? All of a sudden, they'd be in love with all of his people. And that's why, by contrast, and we've already talked about this a few months ago, that's why when a person believes in Christ, one of the evidences, biblical evidences that a person is truly saved is their love for the brethren, that they love other believers. That's why, because they love the Lord. And so it comes down to the believer. But what is the goal of the persecution? As we go back to the psalm, what is the goal? Why does the devil persecute? Why do the children of the devil persecute Persecute the psalmist. Persecute us. What is, the, what is the end? Intended end. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Now, if we're saved, just one moment. If we're, if we're born again, we have eternal life. The moment you believe in Christ, we're not waiting for eternal life. We have it. And last I checked, the word eternal means eternal. Right? 
So if you have eternal life at this moment, then 20 years down from, down from now you'll have it. And 100 years and 1,000 a million years from now you'll also have eternal life, right? That's kind of what it means. So if we're secure because we have eternal life, then why does the devil persecute us? That's definitely part of it. It's just, listen, it's just to dissuade us from following the Lord. Just even, he can't take our soul, but to take us out of the fight. Listen. The devil wants, and I'm not using the devil in a fairy tale sense. I mean it. I mean, Satan is trying his best to get you away from God and to get me away from God, to lure us away or persecute us away, offend us away so that we will stop living for God, so that we will not pray, we will not be concerned about our neighbors, we will not witness, we will not show our face at church, we will not grow, and then ultimately when we're in that state, we begin to live a life that is dishonoring to God and God's name is marred. You know, he can do that without ever getting your soul. <laughs> he, might not, he can't get your soul if you're a child of God, truly. But he can do a great deal of harm to other people. He can do a great deal of harm to the name of Christ. And he wants you out of here. Not just out of the church, but out of living for God altogether. And we know those go hand in hand. That's what he wants. And he's going to try. He is trying that, and he'll do it. Listen, he'll use other people to do it too. He'll use personal conflict to do this, to discourage you, to make you withdraw from God's people. He'll use anger. He'll use family problems. He'll use personal sin. He'll use whatever. You're his target, and I am too. We need to be sober, be vigilant. That's the goal of persecution. Listen to what Spurgeon says on this point. He says, So long as they cannot drive or draw us into spiritual decline, our foes have done, done us no great harm. And they have accomplished nothing by their malice. If we do not decline, they are defeated. All we have to do is just stick by it, right? Only by holding firm, holding fast, we win. Because the goal is to pull us away. All right? Faithfulness is if we do not decline, they are defeated. If they cannot make a sin, make us sin, they have missed the mark. Faithfulness to the truth is victory over our enemies. That's pretty simple. It's not some grand thing we have to do. We just got to be faithful to God. That's it. And by doing that, we win. All right. <clears throat> Look at verse number 158. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved <clears throat> because they kept not thy word. We talked about that last time. When we see sin in our lives or sin, when we see sin around us, what should be, should it provoke anger or sorrow? We saw that already. In the Lord, it provoked sorrow. But there were times it provoked anger, specifically at the cleansing of the temple. But notice this verse is, that is related I beheld the transgressor, so he sees evil happening and was grieved. Now, here's the only point I want to make with this, and we'll move on. Indifference 
Indifference to seeing transgression, to seeing sin, is one of the first marks of spiritual decline. You seeing evil, you seeing it. Not doing it. Not doing it. You seeing it. Because we see it all the time. You can't avoid that. You observing evil and being indifferent is the, one of the first marks of spiritual decline. You know what? Listen. What, an, one of, what is the primary way that we see evil? Let's just be real here. The primary means by which we see evil. Somebody help me. The TV or the internet, social media, they're all the same, media. You know, because we sit in our house and everything's good. We got scripture verses all over the house or whatever you might have. It's a clean atmosphere. Maybe your work, maybe you work alone in a cubicle or whatever, you know, I don't, I, whatever. But the point is, is that you might, you might not, when Sister, when Sister Rita goes into the chiropractic office and, and does the, the cleaning there, there, I mean, there might not be anybody there at all. There's no evil to see. But we're bombarded with it. We're bombarded with it. Here's the thing. You can't necessarily stop all evil from your eyes seeing all evil. Here's the thing. Are you and am I indifferent when we do see it? Is it just kind of humdrum? He was not. He said, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved. It bothered him. And you know what? If you sense indifference when you see something that you know in your head is evil, a sin, wickedness, ungodliness, immorality, whatever, you know, things that are unethical, when you see that and it doesn't bother you, that should cause you and, and, and cause me to have alarm. What's wrong with me? Why does this not bother me? You know what? Because of indifference like that, which is the kissing cousin to tolerance, we keep company with people who engage in that while they're doing it. And as a result of that, we're negatively influenced by them. And that all started with indifference. You see, if something grieves you, and you're keeping company with someone who's doing that thing, you're not going to hang out with them very long. Because it grieves you. It causes you pain. You see, and thereby you see how these things are connected with your relationship to the Lord. Indifference to sin is a, is a, is a measure of, of your spiritual temperature and my spiritual temperature. But when that cools off and indifference is present... That brings us closer to people who do these things and then they in turn negatively affect us. You see that? And that all goes back to what? The root cause goes back to our personal relationship to the Lord. Our walk with Him. See, whenever, because of our own grief at their, their transgressions, we cannot abide their company without speaking up. And you know what? And when we cannot abide it, and then we speak up, and sometimes it is right to speak up. You say, well, I don't want to be judgy. Forget that. Who told you that? Who told you you can't judge righteousness and unrighteousness? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? Can ye not judge the smallest matters? 
He said, well, Jesus said, judge not. Read the rest of the passage. Unrighteous judgment, right? Judgment that is where you're doing the same thing. You have the beam in your eye and you're judging another person's moat, which is a little speck. That's what the Lord's talking about. He's not talking about, he's not, he's not expecting us to go through life and be like, well, I don't know what's right and wrong. I mean, give me a break. That kind of thinking should be mocked. It deserves a good mocking. <laughs> you know what? When we do point out people's, and I'm not saying go around and pick, pick at everybody. You shouldn't do that either. That's, that's dumb too. But when we do properly rebuke evil, that by itself often causes people to either mend their ways or depart from us or hold their tongue maybe. But if they don't, then we're grieved because we hear, we hear them say the F word or take God's name in vain or talk about ungodly trash around us. And Josh knows because in his work, he's heard it too. He's, and he says stuff here, and I don't want to hear that. You got, and then walks away. He's told us about it. And if, but eventually, people either get the point or... And they, they stop talking about that or stop doing that around you at least or they leave you. And then there are some times when you have to depart as well. But if we're grieved at transgression, how can we remain among them? So our response to sin then is, sin which is around us, our response to that is a, is a, is a thermometer of our spiritual temperature. And it determines to a great degree, who we choose to associate with. All of those. This is why when you've heard, y'all growing up, you heard preachers say, yeah, y'all not wrong with the wrong crowd. You know, that's true, but there's a lot under that, which is what I'm trying to describe here. It's not just you ought to cut them off. It's why doesn't, my question is not, why are you running with the wrong crowd? My question is, why are you okay being around people who love sin? Why does it not grieve you? That's the more important question because that gets to where you are with the Lord because it should grieve us. Well, sadly, we're out of time. Let's close in prayer.